You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you, and again, happy Mother's Day to the moms among us. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you're new to Seabreeze, I hope that pretty early on you're beginning to see how important kids are to us. Uh, even those of us that are beyond the raising of kids in our home days, we still tremendously value uh, the little ones that God grants and is obviously the future for us. One of the things I remember as a, as a new parent was this immediate sense of, wow, I'm in over my head. Uh, not just from the logistical challenges of adjusting to a new life, but there's this sense that now there's a part of me that most likely will go beyond me. And how do I impart to them the values and the morals that, that I want to be true of them? And as Ethan, as Ethan said, God's design was for that to take place inside a family, but to be really helped by the church. So we, this dedication um, really symbolizes um, the importance of parents and the importance of the church in that. So we're glad that uh, you joined us for this and that we're celebrating together uh, mothers on this Mother's Day. Now, we've been looking at how to bounce back in this series. If you want to take notes, we've got uh, physical notes that hopefully you've picked up already, or if you're using the app, you can get the notes for the app. But today we're going to talk about uh, the third item that Jesus gave us, the third word that helps us bounce back. In 1965, uh, Norman Stingley invented a ball that became known as the Super Ball. Now, if you're from my generation, you remember this, and you remember, at least in my neighborhood, every one of us had to have one of these. And um, in fact, at, at peak production, Whammo, who was a manufacturer of this, was making 170,000 Super Bowls a day to meet the demand for the Super Bowls. Now, this was unlike any other ball any of us had ever seen before. The ball, when dropped from shoulder height, would bounce nearly all the way back. And it was claimed that if you threw it down hard enough, you could get that ball to leap over a three-story building. Now, I never saw that, but that was kind of the initial claim, which is why it became known as the Super Bowl after Superman, who can leap over buildings with a single bound. Now, we've been looking at how Jesus can help us bounce back from the setbacks of life. Anyone can bounce back to some degree, but what we've been talking about is the kind of bounce that results in a future trajectory that is much higher than the height from which a person has fallen. Now, even Super Bowls can't do that. Their bounce-back ratio, in case you were wondering, is 92%. They'll bounce back 92% of the height from which they've been dropped. Now, we've got a theme verse we've been looking at, and I want to read again. This is a prophecy about Jesus that was written hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, and it describes, really, the bounce-back power that Jesus offers in an individual life. Here's what we read in Isaiah 61.3. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Now anyone can bounce back. Anyone can come back from a pile of ashes, of disaster, of destruction, resulting from either their own personal failure or most likely their sin. But only God can take that pile of ashes and build something beautiful out of that tragedy or out of that setback. And over time, of course, we can recover from sadness and mourning and heaviness, and we can kind of recover a sense of emotional stability. But only God 
can take a season of that mourning and that sadness and actually turn it into the very source of joy and praise to God. And we can, under our own power, with great determination and a lot of hard work, we can turn things around and make a better future for ourselves, no matter what we've gone through. But only Jesus can pull off the bounce-back ratio that is from seed size to tree size. You know, the difference between the size of a seed, just a few millimeters, the size of a tree, hundreds of feet, is significant. And that's what's being said when it mentions trees of righteousness. What Jesus is being prophesied to be able to do is to take these seeds of, of destruction and of sadness and turn them into trees of righteousness. Only Jesus can do that. The question is how. We've been looking at that. Today I want to look at the hidden ingredient. Jesus has introduced a hidden ingredient into our lives that's behind this power. Now, in case you were wondering, the secret ingredient behind Super Bowls is Zectron. Doesn't that sound like the 60s? Zectron. I mean, it was a polymer, but, you know, for advertising purposes, they called it Zectron. That's the secret behind the Super Bowl's power. Now, what, what Jesus offered was also a hidden power, not Zectron, something much more powerful than that. What secret ingredient was it that can power this kind of change? Well, Jesus was asked this question by a man who had observed him do the miracles. He knew that something powerful was going on here, and he had some really good questions. And this conversation is recorded in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and here's what it says. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, being old himself. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Our flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You understand that? It's pretty complicated. So let's unpack it. I love, first of all, how Jesus seems to always know the real question that someone's asking. Nicodemus is kind of beating around the bush here. He says, we know you're from God because we've seen you do these miracles. But his real question is, okay, what's the secret behind your power? And more importantly, what are you going to do with this? You can heal these people. You can turn water into wine. You can do all these amazing things. So what are you going to do with this power? And the answer that Jesus gives basically is, I'm introducing a way to add a new kind of life to everyone's life, everyone who wants to. A way, Jesus says, to be born of God's Spirit. So reborn is the third word of the six that we're looking at in this Bounce Back series. The first one we looked at was the resurrection. Last week we looked, about, looked at the word repent. All of these six words begin with the same prefix, R-E, which means to go back or do again. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that we need to go back and have another birth experience. Why? 
The reason is because the life that we got in our first birth is not powerful enough to bounce back far enough. Our willpower can bounce us some, but we lack the ability to change in the way that God wants us to change, and we want to change. So we need a new kind of life on the inside of us. We, in a sense, need some spiritual zectron. So the hidden ingredient that Jesus brought was the life of the Holy Spirit. So how does that life enter our life? How does that life occur? Well, like any new life, it involves a birth, and that's why Jesus uses this imagery. But of course, we've already been born. So Jesus said, we need to be born again. But how? Well, all of the mothers in this room echo the first response of Nicodemus to this, which is, not another birth. Please, not another birth. And Jesus assures him and all of us, no, not another birth like that. This birth is different. He says, this is a birth of water and of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, the water refers to baptism, and the Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. The baptism is the visible indication of a decision to follow Christ. The Spirit is the invisible part that we can't see that really takes place on the inside of a person who makes that decision. You know, we're going to do a baptism on May 22nd, as you, as you saw, just in a couple of weeks. And for those who will be baptized, the Holy Spirit is not holding off, waiting until they're baptized so that He can enter into their life and begin to change them. No, the Holy Spirit enters our life the moment we say yes to Jesus. But the water of baptism is just the public statement of the private decision and reality of what has already taken place. We have a new life on the inside of us. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't an add-on feature to a life. He's not some kind of divine battery pack. He's a, an entirely new person living inside of you. The actual presence of God inside of us. Now, the best way to describe this amazing phenomenon, of course, is birth, which is why Jesus chose this analogy. I think birth is the most amazing and common of miracles that we all get to see. Here's a picture of me holding our first grandchild. We have five now. This was our first grandchild on the day that she was born. And what struck me most is what tends to strike me most in all of those situations. It is the exertion of the will of these little lives. I mean, she just fits in my hand, and yet she cries when she wants to. She moves when she wants to. She is under her own power. Even on the day of her, her first day of her life, she has a will, and she is exerting her will. That starts from the beginning. No one was prompting her to move the way she did. No one was prompting her to cry when she cried. That was all her. And, of course, that's just the beginning of her life. In the past eight years, she has grown up to be a person with her own traits and her own preferences and her own abilities and her own challenges. She has a will like all of us has a will. That's what comes with our life. We have a will. The challenge we have is that we lack the willpower to change as much as we need to. So God offers to put his will, his life, his spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit. 
Now, in the Bible, God introduces himself as one being. There is only one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we've not experienced anything like this before. We only experience one person, one being. You know, I'm one person, and I'm just one personality. It's just me. If I start describing myself as multiple persons, we have a problem. (laughs) But God is different, which is as you would expect, different and beyond us. He says, I am three and yet still one God. Now, there's much that can be said about what the Father does and what the Son does and what the Holy Spirit does. But I think it best be summarized this way. The Father is the one who plans and initiates. The Son is the one who implements that plan. And the Holy Spirit is the one who applies that plan to us. For example, when it comes to the the great gift of salvation that we've been given, the way to describe it, I think, accurately is we find ourselves in the middle of a lake of our own sin, our own moral failures, and we cannot swim far enough to cover the distance between us and God and get back on land. So we cry out for help. And God the Father is the one who has initiated the plan to rescue us. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the one who gets in the rowboat and covers the distance between God and us. He became a man. He took on a body. He covered the distance. But it is the hand of the Holy Spirit who reaches outside of that boat and pulls us into the boat and saves us. So when you ask, who saved us? God did. That would be accurate. But if you want to describe it in greater detail, you would say, well, it was the Father that planned my salvation. It was the Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price and covered the distance so that I could be saved. But it was the Holy Spirit that turned the light on on the inside that allowed me to reach my hand out and get pulled out of this. That's the role of the three-in-one God in salvation. So when it comes to the power that we need to bounce back, it is the Holy Spirit who does the heavy lifting of bringing about the change that we need and that God offers. But this change isn't automatic. Because what's true now of us is there are two life forces living inside of us if we've decided to follow Jesus. There is the old life, which is still very much alive, and there is the new life that we've been given through Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean in practical terms? This is what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about. Is how, how do you, what does this mean specifically, practically? It's very much like what happens when a new baby arrives in a home. Because of the presence of this new life, there are some adjustments that need to be made. And all of us that have experienced this know that those adjustments are pretty significant. The reason is because you had a life before this child arrived. Now you have to make adjustments and arrangements for this additional life, this additional will. And the same kind of thing is true when you decide to follow Jesus Christ. You had a life. It wasn't like you didn't have a life and you had no desires, no dreams. But now you've taken on an additional life, a new life. And if you're going to allow the power of God to change you, there's some rearrangements and some adjustments in your life that you need to make, just like 
when a new baby comes into a home. The first adjustment is we need to adjust to the new set of desires. See, it used to be all about what you want. Now you have a new life inside of you, so it's also about what the Holy Spirit wants. Jesus described it this way to Nicodemus in verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is using the analogy of wind to describe the effect that having the Spirit in your life has on a person. So he's using the example of wind and leaves. Why do leaves move? Do they move under their own power? Do they have a will? When it rains, do they shake the rain off by themselves? No, of course not. It's the wind that moves them. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's the same thing is true with people. Why do people move? Why do they do what they do? Does their body just do stuff on its own? No. Every one of us is moved by our spirit. Our spirit is kind of like the wind that moves us to do. Our own personal wind moves us to do what we do. Our spirit is a set of desires inside of us that moves us to action and behavior. So if you want to change a person's behavior, you have to change the direction of the wind. You have to change the desire that's resonant inside the heart. And that's a deep thing. This is why deep change has to occur on a spiritual level. The problem is that our spirit has been tainted by our sin. And so our natural desires now is kind of like a storm. There's a mixture of good and bad. This is why we often disappoint ourselves. We set out to do the right thing, and then a counterwind comes up, and we end up doing the wrong thing. Most people approach the need to change strictly on the behavioral level. You know, stop doing that, start doing this, either to someone else or to themselves. But that's like kind, of act, kind of like asking a leaf to move onto its own, under its own power. It's not going to happen. Until you change the desires that are driving a person, the attempted change will be artificial and temporary. The Holy Spirit is a new desire, a new wind, a steady breeze that blows in the opposite direction of the sinful desires of our heart. It's described this way in Galatians 5, 6 through 16 through 17. So I say, live by the Spirit. You know, put up the sail, follow the wind of the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is the old life. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. They, the wind blows in opposite directions. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. So here's the experience. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. What does that mean? Because there's this conflict, whatever you decide to do, someone's going to be disappointed inside of you. If you decide to go with the Holy Spirit, the sinful nature is going to be disappointed. If you decide to go with the sinful nature, the Holy Spirit's going to be disappointed. So another way of saying this is neither one of these two are going to be happy based on what you do. So you have to decide which one's going to be happy. You know, when a new baby is born, it doesn't take long before you realize this new life came with its own set of desires. Problem is, you have your set of desires still, right? So what happens? They are in conflict with each other <laughs> so that you do not do what you want. Isn't this what it's like raising children? When a child is born, you have just decreased 
the do-whatever-you-want portion of your life, haven't you? You used to have entire weekends where you could do whatever you wanted. Those days are gone if you've had a child. And, and, and this, this is not just, this is an adjustment. Increasingly, your life is influenced by what this new life wants and what this new life needs. That is a good thing, but it is also a hard thing that requires a lot of adjustment, work, and sacrifice. That's why we are honoring mothers on this day. If you listen to that video at the beginning, many of those kids described the sacrifices their mothers were making for them. What that means is the mothers are not getting to do everything they want to do in order to mother their kids. That's the challenge of mothering and parenting in general. So when the new life of the Holy Spirit comes into your old life, you have a new set of desires that now compete with the sinful ones. And the sinful desires just don't give up a fight. You know, they just give up the fight and say, oh, the Holy Spirit moved in? Okay, we're moving out. That would be great, but that is not the reality. They dig in. They fight. And there's an internal conflict. So I would say this. If you're thinking of having a baby, if you want to live your life the way you want to, then don't have a baby. If that's your plan, is I just want my life the way I want to, don't have a baby. And honestly, a lot of people are not having a baby because they just, I don't know how to say it, they want to be selfish. They just, they just want to do their thing. They accurately understand the impact that this new life will have on them. It's the same way if you want to keep doing life your old way. If you want to keep heading down the path that you've always headed down morally, then don't make the decision to follow Jesus. Because if you do, the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your heart, and it'll start a real conflict. In the past, when you used to do the wrong thing, you felt a little bad about it. But if the Holy Spirit's on the inside, you feel much worse now. Why? Because the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is grieving. It's not just you grieving a little bit and feeling like, man, she shouldn't have done that. It's the Holy Spirit saying, oh, you definitely should not have done that. And you're going to feel worse about the wrong you do. It's also true that if you do the things that please God, God, it's going to feel much better than it did before. In the past, when you did the right thing, you know, it felt kind of good. You felt proud of yourself, maybe. But now the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is cheering, and you feel that. So if you've recently made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and you're wondering what's wrong with you, don't worry. You just picked up another life. There's, there's, there's something new on the inside. God has moved in, and he intends to remodel the place. There's some walls he was going to knock out. There's some old furniture that's off to the dumpster. There's some new stuff that's going to be brought in. In other words, he intends deep change. And that is not automatic. That is a fight. Let me show you the, the V-shaped bounce that we're using to describe in this bounce back. Here's what the V-shaped bounce of rebirth looks like. The old life that you were born with is naturally sinful. Now, if you've raised kids, you don't have to teach them how to lie. They just learn. You don't have to teach them how to hit their brother or sister. They just do it. You don't train them how to sin. That's natural. You train them how to be compassionate. You train them how to ask for forgiveness. You train them how to be generous. You train them how to work hard. Those things are not natural. The sinful nature is natural. So before the new birth, that's the sinful nature. After the new birth, that's the Holy Spirit. If you're a parent, one of the things that is 
I would highly recommend is that you pray that your kids would decide to follow Jesus Christ because you need the help of the Holy Spirit. If you're just trying to train them away from the sinful nature, you need to do that. But without the help of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be much harder. Now, just because this new life has moved in, though, doesn't mean you're done with the past, as I've said. You know, it's just like the birth of a new baby. When the baby is born, what has to happen for that life to be nourished? The baby has to eat. And what does that mean? The second implication is adopt a new schedule. Adopt a new schedule. When a new baby is born, I think the biggest thing that changes is your schedule. Why? This new life to be f- needs to be fed. And unfortunately, it needs to be fed more than once a month or once a week or once a day. It eats all the time. And it's the same kind of dynamic that happens when we take on the life of the Holy Spirit. That life needs to be nourished in order for it to grow and influence. So in 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, it says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is talking about God's words. The Bible. You know, Jesus did not die on the cross so that the Holy Spirit could take up residence inside of you just so you could get a little whiff, a little taste of how good God's ways are. No, he intends God's ways to be a a nourishment for you. His purpose is to change you. And that won't occur if you don't eat. Eat what? God's words. Jesus made this very clear when he was fasting in the desert and was tempted by Satan to break his fast and turn some stones into bread. He could have done it, but Jesus made this very important point. He quoted something that had already been said in the Old Testament. Here's what he quoted in Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need food to eat. We'll eat this lunch, you know, lunch because we need food to eat. What we tend not to realize is actually what we need even more than that is the truth of God's word to nourish our lives. So how do you eat God's word? It's very similar to how you eat food. You swallow it, then you digest it. You know, chewing and swallowing God's word is, is the part where you read it and you try to understand it, and then you accept it. That's when you swallow it digesting occurs when you decide to do something that it says. Now, with physical food, the digesting just occurs without any effort. You know, I'm going to go to lunch today with some family members, and I'll have to figure out what I want on the menu. Then I'm going to have to put it in my mouth, chew it, swallow it. After that, my work is done. Then this goes to work, hopefully, (laughs) and it works well. But it digests. We don't have to think about it unless there's some physical problem. But with God's word, the digesting part is an additional effort. You need to put in effort implementing those words into life so that it can actually nourish you and change you. It's a separate decision. Now, just like physical food, the only way God's word is going to nourish us is if we build it into our schedule. You know, what, what we do with food is we pause to sit down usually three times a day, to eat. That's not the way we're born, right? An early challenge with a newborn is getting them on any kind of schedule at all. 
And that's the same I found with new Christians. It's a real challenge just to get them on any kind of schedule of eating God's Word. The thing about humans is we don't grow up to graze like cattle throughout the day. That's not how we eat. We grow up to eat at certain times. Eating then is a part of our daily schedule until we die. We need a schedule. If you ingest God's word whenever you feel like it, you will starve spiritually. You won't really grow. Even though this new life is in you, it's, it's not nourished. It's not going to begin to change you. So let me give you some practical tips as we wrap up on how to do this. The first tip is plan ahead. If you're going to schedule the reading of God's word and the doing of God's word, you're going to have to put it into your, you're going to have to plan it. Schedules require forethought. Pick times and places. By the way, one side note, this is just my thought on this. Don't eat while you commute. I mean, I would say that about food in general. <laughs> not, a high, not a good recommendation. I'd say the same thing about God's Word. A lot of times I hear people spending their time with God as they drive. For me personally, it's best if you sit down and eat. It's best if you just focus. So plan ahead. And then make it daily. I would say start with 15 minutes if you've never done this. Or you need to restart this. Start with 15 minutes. Read something out of the Bible. Pray about what you've read. And then maybe write, maybe write down a question or two about what you've read. That takes 15 minutes. And then be consistent. You know, a schedule has a pattern to it. I would recommend you start with the Gospel of Mark. If you're looking for some place in the Bible to start, it's a, a great summary of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Just start with the Gospel of Mark, read for a few minutes, pray, and then go on with your day. And then lastly, I would recommend that you pick one action to take as a result of what you've read. Because it's not good for you just to eat and eat and eat and not do it. Eating without digesting is not good for your body, and it's not good for your soul. So take one thing that you can do. It may be one thing a day, it may be one significant thing a week, but start digesting the truth of God's Word. So if your decision to follow Jesus never ends up making much of a change in your schedule, then my observation has been that the Holy Spirit will have a diminished impact on your life. If you don't carve out the time to personally learn what God has said in the Bible and then do it, then guess which of the two lives is going to grow stronger over time? The old life, not the new life. Ethan mentioned the getting a grip on the Bible uh, class we've got coming up. Uh, on the 15th, uh, next week's week. So we're going to be looking at five practices for how to actually eat God's Word, how to apply it, how to learn it. So if you're new to this or if you'd like a refresher on this, I would encourage you to be a part of that uh, next week, uh, May 15th. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our mothers today who, for every one of us, was our first relationship. We thank you for the price that she paid. We know that there are many different kinds of families that some have been hard, some have been good, but we just thank you for our mothers and the, the gift of life that you brought through them to us. 
And then we also thank you for the life of the Holy Spirit that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased as we take the words of the Bible and take that food and turn it into nourishment. We ask for help and power to do this. And you know everyone in this room. You know exactly what needs to change. So we pray for help and power from you. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.